0: Sunday, Betfair Edge. Head to Betfair for live markets on the Soccer World Cup and back or lay bet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. And a very big welcome on this Sunday morning right around the country to the Betfair Edge, certainly an eventful morning as far as the FIFA World Cup is concerned. We'll discuss that in a moment. Don't forget, you can back, lay and trade the World Cup at Betfair. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858 if you have any issues. Dobie Watson here with you. Happy Sunday morning to everyone listening out there. And joining me from Betfair is Darren Parkin, a familiar voice on the airwaves. How are you, DASH. <laughs>
1: Going well, mate.
0: No issues here
1: for us, that's for sure. But, um, yeah, terrific morning and, and amazing, the, the results. And you look at the scenarios around the final for the World Cup now and, you know, the, the logic and, and I think everything sensible about it says, oh, France will play Argentina. But then in the back of your mind, you're like, well, what if Croatia plays Morocco? It would be uh, <laughs> remarkable. But, um, yeah, the, the last couple of days, obviously, Brazil getting rolled and then that unbelievable match between Argentina and the Netherlands and then this morning, Morocco, who have only conceded one goal in the tournament. They've been unbelievable, uh, knocking out Portugal. So we lose, obviously, Ronaldo and would be his last World Cup, you'd think, for sure. And then uh, the, all of the drama around France, England, where um, Harry Kane, who's a superstar, as yeah. we know, but sending his penalty into orbit and shades of Roberto Baggio in the 94 World Cup final for Italy. Um against Brazil, uh, where he launched that penalty well over the crossbar. But yeah, for England, it's a heartbreak for them. And uh, if you look at the way this tournament has unfolded, they've never had a better chance really to win one since 1966 with, you know, Italy and Colombia not qualifying, Germany, Spain, Brazil, Holland, uh, Belgium, all eliminated. Um, you know, it was a real golden opportunity for them. Had they've got through France, they would have played Morocco in a semi. They would have been favorites and, and they would have got either Argentina or Croatia in a final. It's very difficult to win these tournaments, but, but that's the best chance England have had in a while. But, um, Full credit to France for holding their nerve.
0: Absolutely right. And it's the same old story, isn't it, for England in terms of heartbreak. They had more possession, double the shots compared to France, and they still couldn't capitalise. And you mentioned Harry Kane with the penalty. I suppose it's not necessarily shades of Gareth Southgate's penalty in Euro 96 (laughs) against the Germans, which sort of went into folklore to the point where they were making songs about it. But at the same time, (laughs) it's the same level of heartbreak, isn't it, given the significance?
1: Yeah, and when you look at the fact that they lost the Euros a couple of years ago on penalties to Italy, uh, who obviously didn't end up qualifying for the World Cup, but 2018 they got beaten, I think, in over in extra time by uh, by Croatia in a semi final. Um, then they uh, obviously had the Euros where they got so close, and then here where they've had a really good tournament and things had opened up for them. You, you kind of felt that you know, that the seas were parting for for them to to really have a legitimate crack at it. But yeah, just, just, it wasn't to be for them. And yeah, it's, I think a a lot of us, you you look at the symmetry around 66, obviously, you know, who I barrack for in the AFL. Sometimes you feel that uh, (laughs) curses can't, that curses can't be lifted. You feel that, you know, for whatever reason, there's a hurdle that you just can't get over. And uh, it was fascinating. I was, I was, listening to the conversation around Harry Kane, where he obviously scored the first penalty when they equalised the first time. And then they gave him the second crack. And obviously France's keeper has been a teammate of Harry's for about 10 years domestically. And some people were wondering around the merits of that. Is it a case of, oh, he scored the first one? So you know, he's more likely to score the second one, or is there that mentality around, I've got to get the ball past somebody that I've played with for so long, who knows my game so well. So therefore you've got to do something a bit different. Um, yeah. I've just, it's curious as to the, the mindset around that, whether it would have been better with, the, you know, fresh eyes on that second penalty. Um, someone that doesn't have the history that, that Harry might have, but look, he's, he's a star and you're him in and it didn't quite go that way. And, you know, there are so many near misses in this tournament. I mean, even I think for most of us watching Holland's equalise against Argentina with 30 seconds to go, which is a remarkable goal. Yeah. We look at the fact that we nearly equalized against Argentina with 30 seconds to go as well. Um, you know, just, just got denied by um, a brilliant piece of goalkeeping. But that was the thought that came into my head when, when Holland took that game to extra time. I'm like, we were millimeters away from doing exactly the same thing. So yeah it's uh it's a cruel and and obviously wonderful game it's the best the best theater there is but yeah the, the markets around the tournament have flipped left right and center which i'm sure we'll uh we'll get to in a moment but some massive movements on a on a number of teams
0: absolutely 0433981116 if you want to express any thoughts about the world cup and maybe your prediction for the actual title 0433981116 Just with Morocco, there's always a story of a bit of a bolter in most World Cups. You go back to 2002 with South Korea and what they managed to produce. This year, it's Morocco. They move up, I think, to 11th position with their win over Portugal. They were 22nd in the FIFA World Cup rankings, I think, before the match. So a market movement there. Uh, What are your thoughts on how far they can go?
1: Yeah, and we've often had the conversation on on SEN in the past about, you know, defence winning championships and the battle between good defensive teams and good attacking teams. Well, Portugal came into the match with Morocco having scored 12 times in the World Cup. They were the highest scoring team in the tournament and Morocco had conceded only one goal, clearly the best defensive team in the tournament and defence denied attack. Portugal went scoreless and... Morocco found a way through. So one goal in five games that they've given up. So one goal in, given all the added time they play, it's roughly 500 minutes of, of football. So they've been unbelievable. Uh, they open. I mean, Croatia were probably that team in the last World Cup and they, yeah. and they might be again here. They, they went all the way to the final last time. And I reckon they've been a bit disrespected in the markets up until now. Um, but yeah, Morocco were... to win the World Cup when the tournament started. (laughs) Then they were $390 after their first game. Then they were $170 after the group stage finished. Then they were 40 to one when they won their round of 16 match. Then they were twenty six dollars yesterday. Once Brazil got eliminated, so they came in from forty to twenty six, and then obviously they won this morning, and they're now thirteen fifty. So they've come from four hundred and thirty dollars at the start of the World Cup to thirteen dollars fifty now. So yeah, they've been remarkable, and their defence is going to make them hard to beat. Obviously, France are an outstanding side, but we'll we'll look at that soon. But Croatia, they were. When I say disrespected, they were $70 to win the World Cup when the tournament started, which is very long odds for a team that made the final last time and beat England. And they scored three times in the final as well. I think it was, what was it, 5-3 or something like that or Hmm. 4-2 or whatever it was in the final. Um, Then they came into, I reckon they were still 65s after their first game. They were $46 at the end of the group stage, they were still 40 before the Brazil game. And then as soon as they beat Brazil, they went from 40s into 11s, and now they're $9.60, so um, starting to get respected. But, yeah, the, the odds are very one one way in those two semifinals, which we'll, um, we'll have a look at in a minute.
0: It's delivered, hasn't it, this World Cup? There's no doubt about <laughs> that. Off the SMS, and you can text in 0433 Josh says, England are in the lay bid. Fair dinkum choked this morning. <laughs> Uh, Brett says, suffer England. So the anti England sentiments there, which is probably <laughs> typical for the Australian public this morning, Dash.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think um, those of us that are, you know, we're, we're all human at the same time. So on one hand, we we oh, probably hold them. no, yeah, you hold no sympathy for England, but I think we hold a fair bit of sympathy for Harry Kane, I would think. He'd feel, he'd feel quite a bit of, um, you know, disappointment and sadness. That'll stay with him for a long, long time. I think, um, It'd be difficult not to feel for somebody in in that situation, even if perhaps England getting beaten in a World Cup isn't a tragedy for us.
0: Well, you mentioned Harry Kane. It's funny, he's mm. been ultra consistent at English Premier League level, as we know. Even this season where he hasn't been the absolute standout, he's still been pretty consistent. There's no doubt about that. It's just you've seen... A number, a plethora of other players come into the fray when it comes to scoring and adding their own imprimatur onto the competition, whereas Harry Kane's been reasonably consistent for a long period of time. So, yeah, in that sense, I certainly feel for him, even though as an Australian, you do tend to laugh at England when things don't go their way. (laughs) Uh, Just in relation to the market for the entire tournament, Dash, a big weekend. There's no doubt about that. And a lot of unpredictability ensuing. Is that reflected on the market?
1: Yeah, we've had three favourites in three days. Obviously, Brazil were favourites up until yesterday morning, Saturday morning. They were $2.60 to win the World Cup before their loss to Croatia. So, obviously, when they lost, the market completely flipped. So, Argentina jumped into favouritism at $2.88 after they got through against uh, Holland yesterday. And now France have actually jumped them. So France at $2.18 on the exchange at the moment. Argentina at $2.74. So Argentina shortened a little bit this morning, even though they didn't play. Um, But France jumped them back into favoritism. Portugal had been pretty short. Um, Obviously, their shock loss flips things around. Croatia into $9.60. First time in the whole tournament. They've been in single figures. And Morocco, $13.50, $13.50, as we said, probably still a little bit disrespected, but they are playing France, who are yeah. um, the tournament favourites. So you've got to reflect on that. I mean, we saw Croatia were very long odds before they played Brazil, and that was because they were playing Brazil. But that, um, that changes a little bit now. Those head-to-heads, just to put that in perspective. So Argentina are $1.85 to beat Croatia, who are five dollars seventy, which is not bad head to head. The draw is three dollars forty five. Of course, those markets reflect what happens at the end of regular time. Obviously, they'll they'll find a winner in that match um, as they as they need to. But that's uh, that's where that one sits at the moment. And in that France game, uh, bearing in mind that. I think Croatia were eleven dollars to beat Brazil, so we've seen some some bizarre upsets in in matches. But in that game between France and Morocco, France are a dollar fifty seven, Morocco are eight dollars twenty, yeah. and the draw at the end of regular time is four dollars uh, on the exchange at the moment. And Stats Insider, who um do a lot of terrific work uh, obviously putting together the models and they will run the eye over that. And what they do is they come up with a list of probabilities. So they'll, they effectively play the game a thousand times or 5,000 times, 10,000 times, depending on it. And they come up with what is the most common scenario effectively in, in all of those matches. And then they, they work out a market based on that go. Okay. The based on this, France would win the game 67% of the time. Um, Etc. There'd be twenty-one percent draw, and what's that? Twelve percent Morocco, and then they they frame a market based on that, and then compare it to what the exchange is, and give you advice accordingly on that.
0: All right. Plenty of text messages coming through zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. I'll get to those at a moment. Just had a question through in regards to if there's been any big payouts for Morocco at at this point in time. Um.
1: There's been sort of steady for them, but they I think in terms of individual matches they've been backed, but not so much for the title. They've been shortened just based on circumstance. But some of the more bizarre ones were Argentina were backed for in play in their match against Holland. They were a dollar three with a minute to go <laughs> in that match. And they had two hundred thousand dollars matched on them at oh that price. No. And then and then obviously ended up getting taken to, to extra time and penalties. Yeah. So there would have been some really nervous people uh, watching that one in play and it ended up getting the result with Argentina going through. But um, yeah, Morocco have been, they were pretty popular against Portugal. There was a bit of money coming for them late to to upset them in that match. At, at this stage, obviously, the, the, the France game has only been set for about three hours. So we haven't seen... Much in that space yet, but um, yeah, I imagine they'll be specced a bit at a, at a good price. As you say, there's always a, an outsider and, and defensive teams always play, you know, they always succeed in major tournaments. Teams that can deny the opposition are more likely to win than teams that score heavily and Morocco have been clearly the best defensive team in this entire tournament and they've got to be respected for that.
0: Absolutely. And just off the SMS, Dom says, blue and white stripes for me all the way, Dash, even though I'm not really into the World Cup. So even the lay fans out there, or maybe those that don't necessarily follow the sport to a great extent, are taking a keen interest in the World Cup. I know you don't have a market, rightly so, for emotional or sentimental (laughs) favourites, but would Argentina still be probably considered amongst the brethren to be the emotional or sentimental favourite, despite the fact France is well-backed?
1: Yeah, probably. I mean, uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk around the the underdogs in Croatia. I think they've got a population that's the same as Melbourne, so not not even Victoria, but just Melbourne. So it's an incredible effort for yeah. you know four million people to do what they've done. And I think people love those stories. But yeah, Argentina. We've often had conversations about teams dodging bullets in tournaments, and Argentina have you know dodged a couple of bullets in this World Cup. And there's the sentiment around Messi, and yeah, um, you know. I know people are often in Camp Messi or Camp Ronaldo, but, you know, he's what is he, 36, 37 years of age, so you'd think last chance. Obviously, they, they snuck through against um, Holland the other day when they were under all sorts of pressure. They got through us without playing, you know, particularly well late in that game. Um, yeah, I think there's, there is that little bit of, you know, to, to see, I think South American teams are always, you know, there's that sentimental aspect around it. They play the game in a, you know, really attractive way that's easy on the eye. That, in terms of the crowds, if you if you watch the matches at the World Cup, they would have had ninety percent of the crowd against Holland. They probably had ninety percent of the crowd against us as well. So they seem to be, you know, a pretty popular choice. Even if I think if most of us said pound for pound, who's the best team of the last four that are in the World Cup, we'd probably say France. But I think Argentina, yeah, holding a bit of that that sentimental value.
0: And a lot of the older fans out there would probably still remember the 86 World Cup with a lot of fondness, don't they, with the way Argentina played with Maradona, et cetera. And yeah. Uh... Speak about England heartbreak, that's another example. And we've had another example this morning. That we'll take a break. Back with more of the Betfair Edge after this. Back lay and trade the World Cup at Betfair. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. If you have any issues, you can text it as well. 433 double three98 1116 Damien Watson and Darren Parker with you. You're listening to the Sunday Betfair Edge on SEN. Sunday Betfair Edge. Get more from the Aussie summer of cricket. Find better odds at betfair.com.au. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. hope you're enjoying your Sunday morning. Wherever you may be listening around the country, this is the Betfair Edge. You can back or lay cricket markets at Betfair. Gamble responsibly. Call one 858 858 if you have any issues. We're still chatting about the FIFA World Cup. Damian Watson, Darren Parker, with you. Off the SMS, Chris is listening on the app in Singapore. Good on you, Chris. Love your work, he says. Lads, where was Australia ranked on FIFA's rankings before the tournament and where now? It's an interesting one. I think, weren't they 38 and they've gone into the 20s?
1: Yeah, they, that's right. They were 38 before the tournament, which was, I think, third or fourth lower strength leading into the event. So I think we, we peaked in the low 20s or, or perhaps even 19. Yeah, 19. Yeah, we're, we're at 27 as of a day or so ago. And that's obviously factored in teams it's like um, Morocco and obviously Japan had a very good event. Um, a few teams have slid. So based on this, Argentina have gone from three to two. Um, obviously, they. they I think points-wise, they'd probably go past Brazil if they win the tournament. Belgium went from two back to three. France have gone into four. England, five. Uh, Holland have actually moved up to six in the world, so they've gone past Italy. Portugal, eighth in the world. They've moved slightly. Croatia have gone from 12 to nine, and that would shorten again if they win the World Cup. The United States went from 16 to 12. Morocco have gone from 22 into 11, as you said. Um A few others, Denmark, have gone from 10 way back to 18. So, obviously, they're pretty disappointing World Cup has cost them. Wales went from 19 back to 28. Um, Yeah, we've been one of the bigger movers in in that space, Um, yeah, in terms of the the world rankings as it stands at the moment. So, top 27 in the world. Um, I'm trying to think what the shortest we've ever been. Maybe around about 2006, part of me thinks we got to maybe 14 or 15, I, well, I think. think. the
0: last time we were in the top 20 was in early 2010, so that was off the back of the yep. qualification campaign, which was ironically probably one of the more convincing qualification yeah. campaigns for the soccer. I actually think we were the first
1: team in the world to qualify, <laughs> just based on timing. Um,
0: yeah, with the fixtures, because we beat Japan yeah. in the MCG, remember, in mid-2009 yep. when Cahill scored, and that was pretty much the seal on the deal wasn't it to qualify and then in the end the campaign was a bit disappointing off the back of that loss to Germany
1: yeah we were much better after that Germany game um, but that we we just too much damage was done we were a little bit stiff against Ghana that was one all and I think the goal we gave up was a penalty via a handball which was a slightly harsh call and then I think we had to beat Serbia 4-0 and we scored twice in five minutes um, just after half time, which made that look possible, and then I think that was a two-one win, and that was our last win at a World Cup until a couple of weeks ago. So, um, yeah, ultimately that was a disappointing campaign, but we we're much better after the first game, a lot like we were in this World Cup, obviously, where we got belted by France and then played a lot better.
0: Now, still to come on the fair Edge, we'll touch on yesterday's racing. A big day, not only in the Gallops, but also in the Trots. We had the Inter-Dominion Grand Final for both the Trotters and the Pacers last night, which was sensational. And it's fair to say, not many favourites won either at Tadcourt Park Melton last night. We also had the Silver Chief Final last night at the Meadows in the Greyhounds. So a lot happening in all three codes of racing. And we'll touch on not only the cricket, with Australia taking on the West Indies in the Test Series there, but I want to get your thoughts, Dash. We'll Deep dive into it a little bit later on, but the release of the AFL fixture, whether that mm. affects the markets already, is it something that opens on Betfair as soon as a fixture's released?
1: Yeah, that, that's always a, a moving feast. But, but yeah, it's interesting. You, you look at the, the double ups, the number of interstate games.
0: Gather and around.
1: Um, yeah, six-day breaks and things like that. So that's where it gets pretty interesting uh, when you look at the AFL fixture. But it doesn't move enormously in terms of premierships and top eight and things like that. Injuries, like you look at, say, the Max King injury and yeah. bits and pieces like that. Collingwood with Darcy Moore and Jordan Goey and that sort of thing. That's where you, you get most of your movement around.
0: That's true. And uh, commiserations for that, by the way, with Max King. <laughs> I know you were pretty upset during the week, rightly so. But, yeah, I just wonder whether that does affect the way people think I suppose it does to a certain extent but you don't really know do you until probably the first six weeks of the season you get an idea of who's playing well because sometimes those Friday night fixtures for instance the marquee ones turn out to be duds because of the way things move
1: (laughs) yeah that's right how would you if you were to rank the top six in your mind so that the six most likely to win the flag in a rough order off the top of your head which way would you have had that live in your mind
0: I don't think it changes via the fixture because you simply base it off. No, yeah. In my view, you always base it off the yeah. previous year because what else can you go off? You don't know what's going to happen over the preseason, etc. So Geelong would have to be in there given their convincing grand final win. Collingwood showed a lot of promise and there's plenty of scope for improvement there as well. So they're in there. I think you've got to keep Sydney in there with their great culture. Yep. Carlton could be a big mover. You never know. They could mm-hmm. sneak into the top six. I'm not saying they're going to be a top four side, but... Given the level of development that's already been undertaken mm, and what's to definitely. come, they'd have to be in there prominently. Fremantle also have scope for improvement, too. I think they've probably been somewhat of the quiet achievers compared to where they were a few years ago. So I think those are the teams you really got to think. I'm probably that, missing one or two.
1: Because that's where it's interesting. Because, um, yeah, Fremantle, surprisingly, are ninth in the line of betting. Weird. Um They've got – and Carlton are seventh. They're just outside the top six. But the team that's eighth in the line of betting between Carlton and Fremantle is Port Adelaide, which um, I think Port Port Adelaide are quite a bit shorter in the premiership market than Fremantle at this stage, which is a little bit surprising based on, I mean, Port Adelaide are certainly capable, but Fremantle's year and the fact that they're quite young. I know they had a few players leave the club, like Rory Lobb and a couple of others, but their midfield stayed pretty solid. So I'm surprised by that. Geelong are favourites for the flag at the moment at 6.20. Uh, Melbourne, second favourite. Obviously, they were not too far away but had a, a disappointing straight-sets exit in the finals. But expectation is you put Grundy in there. They've got probably the two best ruckmen of the, the modern era in the same team. But uh, Richmond are third favourites for the flag at this stage. Obviously, there's always a lot of money on the Tigers based on their popularity, but obviously getting Taranto and Hopper and... The way they finished the year, that's fair enough. Sydney and Brisbane at 9.40. Brisbane are the interesting one because they had an amazing off-season, really, to get Dunkley into that side. You know, he's a 30-possession a game midfielder. Jack Gunston into that forward line is... Uh, really important. I mean, he could kick 35 to 40 goals for them and, and complement what they have, especially given they lose McStay to, to Collingwood. Uh, then you throw in uh, getting Ashcroft, who was the best player in the draft. And, and I expect Ashcroft to be every bit as good as Nick Dacos was yeah. uh, this year, next year. So I think Brisbane being five in the line of betting, uh, coming off a, a good final series in a prelim, admittedly they are outgunned convincingly by Geelong in that prelim, but um, they've been around the mark for a while, Brisbane. And I reckon they've probably them alongside Richmond with those two midfielders would have improved their list the most. Um, So yeah, I don't mind them. Collingwood have sixth in the line of betting at an even tens and Carlton, as we said at 12s, Carlton's fixture is not too bad. I know, as you say, that doesn't impact things too much, but I think they'd be pretty pleased with that in terms of their double up games. Um, So yeah, the surprises for me are probably Brisbane, not being a little bit higher in that market and, and Fremantle not being a little bit higher in that market. Some of the others are Bulldogs, an interesting watch there at 20 to one at the moment. And then St Kilda, uh, they actually on the back of the Max King injury went from 30s to 40s. So <laughs> that, that made a fairly significant change in that market. The other one is Essendon being a lot shorter for the flag than the Gold Coast. Um That's probably an intriguing one as well, uh, given uh, the Gold Coast natural upside with Ben King coming in and Essendon, the the, the changes at their club uh, over the last little while.
0: Yeah, the Gold Coast arguably had their best season in their very short history. Yeah. Uh, just off the SMS, Roy from Templestowe says Eagles will bounce back and win the grand final next year. You heard it here first. It'll be one of the greatest jumps of all time, it's fair to say. I yeah, think I think they'll,
1: they'll improve, better. but um, I-, I would happily lay that, to be honest.
0: And Dean off the SMS says Harry Kane feels sorry for him. Dirty Harry, they probably call him in the press. Wouldn't it be weird if we have a Croatia v Morocco final? I hope they don't do that, some of the English tabloids, and say dirty Harry. Oh, they will. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, you said so. They will. It's been interesting, that by play. I think the French press will have a bit to say because it was a, that they were showing billboards in Paris before that quarter final, And I think it's the Sun who are one of the more muckraking um, of the publications over there had bought some of those billboards and they had the banners. It's coming home before the match. Yeah. So they are playing with fire a little bit. So it wouldn't surprise me if the French, um, you know, buy up some signage around London and, have a little bit to say, they might just have a few images of heads in hands and well, there's that gentleman that's on Twitter. They had the that was a fantastic picture of the, the gentleman in the French contingent eating a baguette uh, that was probably a <laughs> meter and a half long in the crowd. So maybe they'll just put a picture of him in his French stripes eating his baguette all over uh, all over London.
0: Well, one positive for certain people in England. I'm speaking of David Badiel and uh, Frank Skinner and mm-hmm. the Lightning Seeds. They can still trade off that song. It's coming home because they'll keep doing it <laughs> until they actually win the tournament. So. Yeah, they could wait a little bit longer and enjoy the rewards and the royalties for a little bit longer as well, Dash. We'll take a break for the news. We'll chat racing and cricket on the other side of this. Feel free to text in 0433 98 1116. You can backlay and trade the World Cup at Betfair. Gamble responsibly. Call 1 800 858 858. Welcome back. Hope you're enjoying the Betfair Edge. And indeed, hope you're enjoying your Sunday morning. It's a nice, peaceful weekend. A bit blowy, but still sunny for most parts of the country on this Sunday, this December Sunday. Damien Watson and Darren Parker with you. Big sympathy out there to all the English fans after losing to France today in the World Cup 2-1. Maybe the reinvigoration of the Hundred Years' War. Uh, Not saying that at all, (laughs) but uh, maybe that has Festered a little bit, uh, the tension between the two nations. Uh, back, lay and trade the Soccer World Cup at Betfair. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858 if you have any issues. Now, we'll talk Racing Dash. Ascot, an interesting card yesterday and a number of key jockeys from right around not only the country, but also those returning from Hong Kong. JB Carr had a lot of success in Hong Kong during the week. She came back <laughs> to WA to ride yesterday and we had some good racing, including the Gold Rush, $1.5 million in prize money up for grabs. And it was the Astrologist with William Pike. And it's interesting, it wasn't a short price favourite, which was normally the thing we'd become accustomed to when it comes to WA racing over the last few years, where William Pike rides a favourite in a big race. It was actually at decent odds if you wanted value, and it got the job done defeating Kiss on all four cheeks and Comfort Me, who rounded out the placings.
1: Yeah, we always like to look at the market comparisons and yeah, the astrologist at twenty fours for Willie Pike and the, the Corstons team, it was I think sixteen ninety on, on most of the corporate. So that's forty two percent, which is obviously if you backed it on the on the exchange, that's a really good result. Uh Titan Blinders would have been had that have snuck into the place that was 250 to one ran fourth uh just missing out there that would have been a great result but yeah chris parnham second there on kiss on all four cheeks he wins a lot of races in the west and just missing out on that one but yeah willie pike who's generally owned a lot of the features in the the west he he missed out on a couple of them recently i think he won the railway four times in a row going into this year but yeah he takes the gold rush at at long odds and the astrologist probably a little bit over the odds based on um, you know, talent and, and expectations coming in. But, yeah, that was a, a really good one. And, you know, the, the rest of the day, you had a lot of the favourites generally got up. I think, you, you know, the, the longest odds you had across the early part of the program, I think it was one in double figures, uh, which was War Gem, but, you know, a lot of $3 and $4 and, and $2.50 favourites. So to get the blowout in the feature, hopefully um, hopefully enough uh, enough punters got a bit of that.
0: Yes, indeed. It's interesting though, you mentioned that there were a lot of short price favourites that got up at Ascot. In the Inter-Dominion last night, we had the final night or the grand final night, the SEN track Inter-Dominion and the trotting final and the pacing final were both very interesting. The entire card had a lot of roughies getting up. I reckon only one favourite got up for pretty much the Mm. entire card and it was interesting. I cast no shadow was a great performer. It wanted about sixteen dollars at the end of the pacing final. So many great stories as a result of that. But gee, it wasn't a great night for the punters at the Dominion final night. It was good to see Bruce McEvany out on track yeah. as well at Tapcor Park, Melton.
1: Yeah, saw him doing the tour of the stables with with Gareth Hall, which was um, which was great, and it would have been a great thrill for, for Gareth as well. I know he's a massive fan of Bruce, but um, yeah, I cast no shadow. I actually, ended up creeping out to nearly twenty on the uh, on the exchange, so uh, um, which is a really good result. Torrid Saint, who nearly won that race, it's an Yeah, that's right, one hundred and fifty to one uh, coming in, and um, yeah, so. We did have a, a day of blowouts there, and, and yeah, the inter dominion going the way of uh, a 20 to one shot in I Cast No Shadow for uh, Jason Grimsham. Um, yeah, you had a, you know the group three that was just before that as well. A consolation, you had Jillaby Sylvester at nearly double figures yes. getting up there, but again, the placings the crime rider was 78 to one who ran second, and pitch perfect was 101 to one who ran third. So, if you were you know, good enough and smart enough to somehow find trifectas in that, you're uh, probably going to retire in Hawaii, I'd assume.
0: (laughs) Gamble responsibly, of course, everyone out there. Now, I was just going to mention as well, we spoke about the inter Dominion. We also had the Silver Chief Final with Amron Boy, the SEN track dog getting up as well, and it's a good lead-in for the Phoenix next week. I want to touch on the cricket, Dash, because Australia, of course, taking on the West Indies in the second Test match, and it looks like the Aussies could potentially wrap it up today. The Windies are four for 38, still requiring another 459 runs to win in their second innings at the Adelaide Oval. It's been a bit of a rout. It's Certainly a contrast to 35 years ago when the Windies were number one in the world, Dash, but I suppose that's a reality. And we've dealt with that reality for probably the best part of the last 20 years when it comes to the West Indians in the test format, at least.
1: Yeah, I've been having a chat to a few people on Twitter about the evolution of, of that. I was The other night I was watching, I think it was day two, uh, when the West Indies lost a few wickets late in the day that, between so if you look at their their Halcyon days so 1977 to let's call it 1997 because i know they lost the series in australia in 96 97 no, but that was 3-2 mate. that was that was the last time they won a test match on australian soil but in yeah. that 20 year period they won 16 tests in australia lost eight and drew seven so uh, they clearly had the better record. They were winning 2-1 against Australia really through that time on Australian soil. Since then, so since that 96-97 series, there's zero wins, 13 losses, two draws. The two draws were rain affected, so they would have lost every Test match. Um, and they're on track to lose this one, which will be a 14th loss. I think, you know, when we started watching cricket, Australia would play the West Indies in a five-Test series at home and a five-Test series away. Now it's, you know, a two-test series and and maybe three at most. Um, We don't play them as frequently. And ironically, they're actually out here again next summer, despite that, which is, um, you know, a bit of a concern. Obviously, this summer we have the West Indies and South Africa. Africa. And then next summer we have uh, Pakistan and the West Indies. So, yeah, we're going to see them again.
0: I know. Which is, um, yeah, unfortunate. Well, it's interesting, a bit like the mid-90s when they came back for the one-day series in 96-97 and a test series after having beaten the one-day series, remember, in 95-96 along with Sri Lanka. So, yeah, you think back to the late 80s when they were pulling 70,000-plus crowds for a one-day international at the MCG. It's amazing how things change. Admittedly, though, I've got to say the Adelaide public seem to have turned out to a reasonable level, maybe compared to Perth at the very least. So that's something to admire in a sense. What does it do in terms of the market for Australia series against South Africa, Dash? Because is there much we can read into this West Indian series as far as Australia is concerned? Because South Africa, having after having been probably the benchmark along with India in the world for quite a while in the test format of the game, they've gone off their perch a little bit in the last few years.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting. South Africa are, are already here. So that, that series is not too far away. I think it's next week. They're playing the... Cricket Australia, 11 as we speak, um, and going pretty well. I guess if we look at the fundamental differences between them, it is with the ball. So the West Indies have at times shown resistance with the bat for little periods in this series, but that's actually got worse. Obviously, the first test, they resisted pretty well in both innings. That Braithwaite turn and, and Paul's looked pretty good. But ultimately, it's been, you know, really disappointing. But they just haven't been able to take wickets. Uh, you know, they, they don't look like they're anywhere near being able to to take twenty wickets in a series, whereas South Africa, with the likes of Kagiso Rabada and players like that, that you feel like they can ask more questions of Australia, and you know their batting's not what it used to be when they came out here with Smith and Davilias and Amlar and Callis and all of those players in the past. Penetrable, you know, they, they rely. Yeah, they'll rely heavily on Dean Algar and and players like that so through the uh, through the middle order. I think uh, Temba Bavuma is here, who's um, you know we've seen a bit of him out in the past. Uh, Australia are still very, very strong favourites in that series, but I think all of us agree we're, we're clearly going to get a lot more resistance out of South Africa, but a busy betting market's actually been the Big Bash, which starts on Tuesday. There's been a, a fair bit of interest on the exchange around um, around those matches, and one thing that does surprise me, I know uh, I'll, I'll put my hand in the air, I am a Renegades fan, but they, and they've had a history of, of, of being a disappointment in the Big Bash, it's fair to say, but if you look at their squad, they're the, the rank outsiders to win the title. But, you know, Guptal and, and Moody and um, Dre Russell and I've obviously got Finch and Maddinson. I think their squad is actually all right. So um, I think that's a bit generous at the moment for uh, for those that, that don't mind betting on the Big Bash.
0: Yeah, that's a fair point. So off the SMS, Dotty from Essendon says, oh my God, so good to hear your voice on yet again, Dash. So there you go. A bit of love <laughs> off the text machine, which I know yeah. you like.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's always a good combination to have uh yeah it's good good to work with you on air and yeah bringing back uh bringing back old memories that's for sure but nice to know that uh my my one fan is just happens to be listening today,
0: so that's good. Zero four double three ninety-eight eleven sixteen. We might chat a little bit about the AFL fixture after this, and any of your text messages will certainly address as well as they come through. You're listening to the Bet Fair Edge on this Sunday morning. You can back all lay cricket markets at BetFair. Gamble responsibly. Call one eight hundred eight five eight eight five eight 858 858 if you have any issues. You're listening to the Sunday Bet Fair Edge on SEN. Sunday Bet Edge. Get more from the Aussie summer of cricket. Find better odds at betfair.com.au. Gamble responsibly. Call one 858 858 This is the Betfair Edge on a Sunday morning. W Watson and Darren Parkin with you back layer and trade the World Cup at Betfair. Gamble responsibly. Call 1800 858 858. Tim giving you a bit of love off the text machine as well Dash. Uh, very nice to see that. zero four double 98 We'll touch on the AFL fixture. I know we spoke about it briefly just before the news for a couple of minutes. The release of course within the last 24 hours. Uh, we've got a couple of text messages in relation to this. I'm a Collingwood supporter says Anonymous and I think we've been given a very tough draw. What do you think, just for context, Dash, the Pies double-ups, Adelaide, Brisbane, Carlton, Essendon, Geelong, and Port Adelaide. And we see Carlton with a number of prime slots as well with the most amount of Thursday and Friday night games, I believe.
1: Yeah, and look, they they should certainly improve. Look, they for all the money, look like they were going to make the finals last year, just the the last fortnight against Melbourne and Collingwood, obviously, with that heartbreak. But they should improve. Um, Yeah, look, Collingwood, the the double-ups, I mean, you're it's not too bad by comparison. Obviously they they kind of get a mix there that they're always likely to play Essendon twice. The Geelong one is interesting. Um, Yeah. So it's a tougher fixture and I guess that's the price you pay for finishing top four, but I find it interesting looking at round one, which is a really, it's a really good round one, actually. I think all of the fixtures are really evenly matched. Um, There's no real obvious clear cut favorite across any of those matches. it's, it's quite ironic that the, the biggest outsider in round one is Collingwood, who lost a prelim by a point. Um, <laughs> so it's quite remarkable that they'd be in that position there. And they're $2.86, so they're not exactly, you know, way, way, way out there. So Geelong, as the, the reigning premiers, are the they're the shortest price favourite in round one. But $1.41 versus $2.86 goes to show how tight that round is. I mean, Richmond are slight favourites against Carlton. Uh, North Melbourne are slight favourites against West Coast. That's almost 50-50. Port Adelaide, Brisbane in Adelaide is a great round one fixture. Uh, Port Adelaide are slight favourites. You've got Melbourne and the Bulldogs in that sort of grudge match, the modern rivalry. They're, they're usually rippers. Melbourne favourites just in that. Sydney favourites to beat the Gold Coast at Metricon, but not by a long way. That's like you know $1.62, dollars two twenty six. GWS Adelaide, um, Two sides that, you know, would want to improve a little yeah. bit on on last year and have done it a bit tough. Uh, Hawthorne Essendon is interesting as well. And then St. Kilda Fremantle, Fremantle's slight favourites in that one at Marvel for the Ross Lyon return match. But that's one of the more even round ones that I can ever remember, to be honest. that There's almost nine 50-50 games in, in that list.
0: can almost make the argument the biggest subplot is the St. Kilda v. Frio fixture, which is not something you'd usually expect, uh, yeah. but obviously with what happened with Ross Lyon. Just off the SMS, John wants to know if there's a market on Carlton winning back-to-back flags and why you get that up, Dash, just to give a bit of context. <laughs> Uh, The AFL uses a weighted rule to determine who plays each other twice. So they break the 18 teams into three groups, the top six from the previous year's ladder based on the finals results. So not necessarily on the home and away ladder results at the end of the season, the middle six and the bottom six. So that's a determinative factor.
1: I'll I'll have a crack at framing a back-to-back market. We don't have the 2024 premiers up yet, but (laughs) Carlton are $12 to win the 2023 premiership. So, Doing some work on the run, if they win the premiership in 2023, they'll be a lot shorter than 12 for the one the year after. So let's say they go from – well, Geelong are the reigning premiers at the moment. They're 620. So let's say Carlton win it this year. They'd be 620 or thereabouts next year. So uh, you put that together, 12 and 6, you get, what, 72 to 1. So – that's probably about what we could uh, what we could look at there about 72 bucks for Carlton to go back to back.
0: yeah I like that cheeky text there from John three 98 <laughs> it's going to be an intriguing season Dash just before we let you go is there anything you're looking forward to over the coming weeks uh, maybe any lays that you can potentially work into on the market?
1: Yeah, I think um, I'm really looking forward to the, the Big Bash. The Big Bash is great for those that like to play in in matches. Obviously, the in-play betting in those is, is always uh, really popular. But, um, yeah, really keen to see how that one goes. And I think the, the World Cup, which has oh, been of most course. of my focus of, of recent times, I think that the odds you get on... Both the underdogs, Morocco and Croatia. Croatia are at about sixes and Morocco at nearly nines. I reckon one of them is going to win. I don't know which one, but I reckon one of them will get through. So, um, yeah, I think there's a little bit of um, a little bit of a play there. And you know, if you, if you took both of them, I reckon I reckon you might get one of them. So that's probably yeah. not a bad way to look.
0: I'm still putting my hopes on Argentina. Dash. Really appreciate your time. Always a pleasure working with you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Great to be on, and hope to be back soon.
0: Indeed, that's another edition of the Betfair Edge. Stay tuned on SEN track. We've got Cam Luke and Semi Highland taking you through the day's racing.